We are on the third, third week of our series that we're calling Daily Bread, and we are going through the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer line by line, verse by verse, and it's, I believe, one of the most powerful, powerful prayers in the Bible. And of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, prayer was at the top of the list. And all these men, the disciples knew how to pray, but they really wanted to pray with power. They wanted to pray because when Jesus prayed, things happened, right? Uh, when Jesus prayed, the, 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 the storms ceased. When Jesus prayed, the, the, the blind received their sight. Uh, there were dead people coming out of the graves. I mean, the, uh, Jesus prayed and, and things changed. And that's what the disciples wanted for their life. And so when they asked Jesus how to pray, he gives them this short little prayer called the Lord's Prayer, or if you were raised Catholic, it's called the Our Father. I was raised Catholic. We said this prayer every week at Mass um, in, in unison, and it's a powerful prayer, 66 words. You can say it in 30 seconds. Apparently, 500 million people have memorized this prayer in the world that are alive right now. It's a very powerful prayer. But as we've journeyed through it, I think what we're seeing is the power is not so much in the saying of the prayer, but the praying of the prayer. That it's, it's, it's more than 66 words. It's 66 words that outline a pattern of how when we come to God and we, because prayer is just a conversation, what do we talk about? And so week one, we looked at right out of the gate, how to address God, that God, Jesus teaches us to pray to God as our father, you know, and so that opens up a whole new world of relationship to us, that this is a, a very relational thing, that God is, is not this distant God that's just waiting on us to mess up, but he's a good father. And then, uh, you know, last week we talked about, which is really the first request of the prayer, is that God would be glorified in the world and that he would reveal himself to us. And so today I want to look at really the second line. It's, and I'm going to start at the beginning Matthew 6, uh, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is our text this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so before Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, for our needs, for the needs of our family and our community, that's next week and we're going to get there. But before we're to do that, he's saying this, this, is, a, this is to me the focus of this prayer. This is the, the heart of it. We're praying for the kingdom of God to come on the earth as it's already been established in heaven. Now, what does that even mean? That was a brand new concept 2,000 years ago when Jesus began his public ministry. We know he lived to about 33, and for 30 years, we don't know much of what he was doing. We only have a few verses from his, from his childhood days where his mother um, and, and father kind of lost him at the temple, and they go back to find him, and he's teaching in the temple. They're like, who is this kid? And then there's like decades of silence. And then his public ministry began when he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And I want you to see this. There's a common denominator here. John the Baptist, the pre-runner of, of Jesus and, and his coming, he had one sermon, one sermon. You know what it was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All he talked about was the kingdom of heaven. As soon as Jesus began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, his first sermon was about the kingdom of heaven. 
over and over and over, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that the, the, the top topic of Jesus when he was teaching in his ministry, all he would talk about was the kingdom of heaven. 115 times is what I found. It's probably more. Jesus preached about the kingdom. Now, this was, a, this was brand new. And, and, the, and the other part about it was everyone was thinking that he was going to establish some kind of rule or order on the earth. And so they're looking, when we think of kingdom, we think of kings and castles and parades and, 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 and military and currency, a kingdom, right? That's what upholds a kingdom. But Jesus began to unravel this mystery of this kingdom that he was from and that he came to establish that was completely opposite of the kingdoms of this world. I couldn't fit this in your handout, but Matthew 13, Jesus gives seven parables and they begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. Seven, seven parables, the kingdom of God, and those go hand in hand. I think they're just interchangeable. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Seven, seven times in one chapter, Matthew 13, he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like good soil. And you probably know the, the parable, the, the, the sower that went out, and there was good soil, rocky soil, birds came and got the, got the seed. So he talks about the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like good seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, he says, that it's the smallest seed in the world, but it produces the largest tree. He says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, and it gets in the bread, and it, and it causes the bread to rise. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man found, and he went and sold everything that he had to, to, to buy that field. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And he went into this one shop, and he found this pearl, and he sold all that he had to get this pearl. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a fisherman who goes out with his net and he throws his net and he gets good fish and he gets bad fish. And so Matthew 13, seven different parables and the disciples are like, man, why are you talking in parables? We don't understand what you're saying. Can you explain this to us? And so on a side conversation that we have in, my, in Matthew 13, Jesus explains the parable to his disciples that we have access to now. And the best that I can tell, these seven parables have all, they have one thing in common with this kingdom. And Jesus talked about it a lot, that there's this kingdom of heaven that's largely unseen that he came to bring and to establish. And then there's this kingdom of the world that is really easy to see. And he refers to it as the kingdom of darkness or the, you know, the, the kingdom of this world and it's almost like when he takes his disciples to the side and he explains to them, it, it's like the, he, you know, one parable was wheat and tares, that the kingdom of heaven was, is this wheat that's growing. And then the enemy came in in the middle of the night and sowed tares or weeds in the field, and then it began to grow alongside it. Or the fisherman that cast his net, and he got good fish and he got bad fish. And we, we see this separation all throughout the New Testament, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil. And I think what Jesus was trying to show us is that there are two kingdoms that are building right now on the planet that we were born into the midst of a war between the two, whether you liked it or not. Congratulations. And, and, and they were here before we came and they'll be here when we leave. And the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of darkness seems to get all the news. If you want to know what's going on in the kingdom of the world, turn on Fox News or CNN, and you can get hours and hours and hours of pain and suffering and disease and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and hurricanes, right? You can get all that. And it's easy to focus on that and seem like, man, we're losing. 
And everybody was waiting on Jesus to establish his kingdom and fix all the, the wrongs in the world, and he didn't do that. He said, no, they're both building to a, to a climax. They're both building. But my kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world, and it's hard to see it with your natural eyes. There's two narratives at work in our world. There's this, this establishing of a world system that's coming, and I'm not going to go there. We've read, we went through the book of Revelation last year for like 11 weeks, and we talked all about that kingdom that's coming. And there's this, you know, the Bible talks about this great war and the battle of Armageddon. These two kingdoms are going to come to a head at some point, and they're both building, and they're both heading somewhere. But the one that we're a part of and the one that Jesus asked us to pray for and focus on is not that kingdom. It's not that kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees and everyone around Jesus like really wanted to know details on this kingdom. Like, give us more information. Luke 17, it says that, that Pharisees asked him, when's this kingdom coming? You're talking about the kingdom of God. You know, when's it gonna come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with careful observation, saying you're not gonna really be able to see it. Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Other translations say that the kingdom of God is in your midst. And basically what I think Jesus was saying to this Pharisee is you're asking to see the kingdom and he's speaking right to you and you can't see it. That there's a discernment that is required to really see what God is doing in the world because that other kingdom is so in our face every day and it makes the headlines and it's all over. And so it's, it's, sometimes it's really hard to see what God is doing in our lives and in our world and our families and our communities because it looks like the darkness is winning at times. But Jesus said, my kingdom, it's not of this world. And so he teaches us to pray right in the heart of the Lord's prayer for the kingdom of heaven to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so why is he asking us to pray for the kingdom to come if it's already here? Multiple times, even when he's addressing the Pharisees, and they're looking for a sign, and they want to know where the kingdom is. He says, it's, it's here. Well, they want to see it. Well, you can't see it. <laughs> and then in this prayer, he says, pray for the kingdom to come. But then in other places in the New Testament, he says, the kingdom is already here. And so which one is it? And, that, and I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I had to look this up. But that word, C-O-M-E, come, it has multiple tenses. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, it's past and present and future. And so when, he, when he's saying, pray for the kingdom of God to come, he's saying both the, the kingdom of heaven is here and it's arriving. And I don't know how that works. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really don't know. I wish I could explain that in better detail. The best that I feel like I could explain it is it's, it's like a hurricane, all right? We're right in the middle of it. A hurricane. We got a low, low pressure system in the Gulf right now. It's not here, but it's arriving. There's a hurricane for the first time, I think, in history, heading up the West Coast right now, heading towards like San Diego. Hurricane, is it Hillary? And so it's not there, but it's arriving. And the thing about the kingdom and hurricanes is, is it may not be there, but you can feel the effects of it before it gets there. And so surfers are lining up right now in Southern California, okay? Because they're, they're, they want to ride the waves. And when Jesus says, pray for the kingdom, he's saying both. It's already here, and the people that have eyes to see it, see it, but it's also coming. 
And it's coming in a way that I think the world has no clue how great and how awesome it's going to be. It's here and it's arriving. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's both present and future. The kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, you know, that, that term is used both. And it's almost like interchangeable. And I really didn't know why. What does that mean? And when he says to pray for the kingdom, your will be done, right? Your kingdom come. The explanation he gives for it is heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Almost saying that there's an established will that we're, that, that's already present. There's an established order that God is rolling out in our lives and in our world. And it's also here. I'm confusing myself just talking about it. <laughs> but what makes heaven heaven? Is it the streets of gold? We, we read about streets of gold. We read about there's, there's pearls, gates made of one solid pearl in heaven. We read that it's a place where no tears will be shed. Pain is gone. Sin is gone. There's no graveyards in heaven. <laughs> there's no dying there's no death, there's no sickness. What makes heaven heaven? Is it the angels? Is it the cherubim? Is it, is it the, the throne of God and this crystal river that flows from the throne according to Revelation? What makes heaven heaven? If you take out the streets of gold, is it still heaven? If you take out the pearly gates, what makes heaven heaven? A kingdom, according to Webster, is the king's domain. That's what a kingdom is. And I think when Jesus says that the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is, is here and coming, the best way that I could, I could make it make sense in my mind is that wherever you have Jesus as king, you have the kingdom. That's what makes heaven heaven. It's not the, the pearly gates. It's not the streets of gold. You could have all that stuff, but if you remove the king, it's a nice city. And when Jesus asked us to pray in our own personal life, your kingdom come, what he's saying is wherever Jesus is Lord in my life, I'm going to see the kingdom in my life. And wherever I'm trying to be in the driver's seat or the seat of authority in my life or someone else's, I'm going to have some problems. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we're praying is, Lord, I want your established will for my life. That's what I want to walk in. That there is a king that whose ways are higher than mine, who created this world that has a plan for my life. And when I say, Lord, your kingdom come, I'm saying, God, I want to walk in that. I want to walk in your kingdom. I want to walk in what you have for me, and I don't want anything else. Wherever Jesus is king, you have the kingdom. It's the king's domain. And you would think that the kingdom of God would mostly be, you know, found in church or found in some kind of religious institution. But that's not the truth all the time because Jesus isn't king of every church. And he's not king of every religious institution. But where Jesus is king, where that's how someone's making decisions, you will find the kingdom of God. And he prays for it to come, not to the church, but on earth. The cosmos is what that word means. Like, like pray for the kingdom of God to come into my home, my business, my community. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for God's rule and reign in the community that I live in and work in. That's what I want. That's the focus of the Lord's Prayer. 
He says, he says, I know you have needs. I know you have things that you're worried about right now. I know there's some stuff in your life that you're really worried about and you brought it in here with you this morning. But Jesus teaches us, teaches us before we get to those things and they are important, we have to check ourselves and say, am I, am I willing to walk in the king's domain for my life, whatever it may be? Is that what I really want? Or is prayer a way for me to try to change the king's mind? Or bend my world and bend my, my reality into something that I, that I feel like I should have or that I need? Your kingdom come. It's surrendering our will. It's, it's surrendering our lives because I'm finding that somebody has to sit on the throne of our heart. Something in your life, you have to be led by something. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we're saying is, Lord, I want your leadership in my life. I want you to have the final say. I want to go where you tell me to go. I want to do what you tell me to do. And I think the opposite of prayer, when I'm, you know, Jesus talks a lot about prayer and worry at the same time, because I think the opposite of prayer is just trying to figure everything out on your own. <laughs> trying to control things that you can't control. What's anxiety? Trying to control things you can't control trying to control people you can't control, trying to control kids you can't control. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, trying to control a dog that you can't, I mean, everything, like, like it's trying to control, you know, I'm finding how little I have control of in my life. Like, really, I can't even control what I think sometimes. I'm like, where did that come from? That's anxiety, that's worry, that's trying to be the king of your own life. And work things out in your own strength and in your own wisdom. And you can only get so far in life that way. And not only that, you're just, you're just tired and stressed all the time. The weight of the world was not meant to be carried by the human frame. You can't do it. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we're doing is we're transferring that anxiety and the burden of just living over to the king. Now, I know anxiety is a real thing, and I know worry is a real thing, and I'm not saying that it's that simple. You know, some people need help with anxiety, and there's other ways, and, and there's doctors who are trained in that to help people with anxiety. And, and I don't think God gives anxiety, but he sure does give the cure to it. And it may come in different forms and in different fashions. I'm not saying that you can just pray a prayer and not have anxiety anymore. But I think when I begin to ruminate on something or I get anxious I'm not talking to God about it. I'm just sitting talking to myself about it or my neighbor or my cousin or I poll a friend, right? Or I do a Facebook poll. What should I do? You know, like, like we try to exhaust everything else, but let's, let's bring it to the king. Prayer is placing everything at the feet of the king. Philippians 4, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. That verse gets on my nerves. Somebody who has a love-hate relationship with anxiety. That's cute. Okay. Don't be anxious about anything. So should I just, whatever, just go live in a monastery and sing Kumbaya until I die? I don't know. How do you not worry about stuff? But in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the king. What is Prayer. Prayer is transferring the burden from me to the king. That's prayer. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done, the stuff in your life that you don't know why it happened 
or how it happened and the stuff that's keeping you up at night, which we all have right now, it's coming to God as humbly as we can and say, Lord, I don't know how to fix this, but I know that you do. And if it doesn't get fixed, I know that you're going to use it. You're going to use it for my good and for your glory. And it's just staying in a posture of humility and knowing that there's a God that is running the universe and that God is not me. And even when I turn on Fox News and CNN and it looks like the kingdom of darkness is winning, I know in my heart of hearts, you know in your heart of hearts that it's not. And no matter what happens on this side of eternity, the worst thing's never the last thing. And it's going to get darker before, you know, it's darkest before dawn. But those that are a part of the kingdom of God know that that's not how it ends. That's not how it ends. And you may not be facing a heavy burden right now. You may not have walked in here with, with big, heavy problems in your life. But if you live a little bit longer, let me assure you, you will. Okay, let me encourage you this morning. You're going to hit some problems that you don't know how to fix, and your psychiatrist don't know how to fix, and the doctor don't know how to fix, and even mama can't fix it. And you're just going to have to go to the king with it and give it to him and say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening or what's going on, but I'm tired of worrying about this. I'm going to just give it to you. Prayer is transferring the burden. And when we pray for the kingdom of God in our life, it's, it's, it's unloading those rocks that we have in our backpack that we tend to collect and carry around. The unanswered questions, the things that we don't know why they happened, or it's, it's saying, Lord, I'm laying all these at your feet. Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. When we hit these, these obstacles in our life that we don't know how to get through and we don't know why they're happening, because, I mean, it's, we've all been there, When we take it to God, we don't need the answer. We just need to know that God's got it under control. And I sleep easier at night knowing that I'm not in charge of the universe. And I sleep easier at night knowing that I'm not in charge of my own life. And I sleep easier at night knowing that I'm not in charge of my own children. You know, my my, my one. My dog is, I feel like he's a child too. So he's basically a person. It's like a, a little hairy person. But uh Anyways, I'm sorry. What was I saying? Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. When everyone else is freaking out because the world's going crazy and Chicken Little's telling everybody the sky is falling, the Christian is cool as a cucumber. Why? Because you know God's got it. And you know that this world has to come down. This, This kingdom that's being built in front of us every day, little K kingdom, that's going to continue to build and continue to head to this, this, this climax, we're not a part of it. It doesn't, it doesn't dictate your peace. It doesn't dictate your sleep. You sleep well because you're in the king's kingdom, capital K. And you know that he's got it, and he's got you, and he's got your family. Your kingdom come. And then this other little caveat we're going to talk about it for a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying for God's kingdom, but then we're praying for God's will. So, you know, I think these seem similar, but they're not the same thing. And the word that's used twice is your. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
And so the emphasis here is not so much on getting what we want accomplished, but trying to find out what is the will of the king. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And think about the relationships in your life that matter the most. If it's just a take, take, take relationship, it's not going to last very long. I think the greatest, the way I've heard marriage defined, the greatest example is it's two individuals serving each other's needs. That's the relationships that, that matter the most in your life, you're not, it's not all take, take, take. You're coming to that person and saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I make your day better? How can I take the load off of you? And so when we come to God, before we ask for our needs, because that's coming, that's next week, what's your heart for my life, God? What, what do you want me to do? What is, what is, here we go, your will for me? And that opens up a whole new, brand new concept that, that there's a God in heaven that has a plan for my life. That was new information to me when I started coming to church. I, I didn't know that. I thought God's will was for missionaries and, and pastors, and I didn't want to be either of those. I didn't think God's will was for businessmen and those that are called to start entrepreneurs and those that are called to serve in the military and those that are called to drive school buses and be teachers and coaches. I thought God's will was just for the chosen few. But God's will is well beyond just the church. That vocation literally means calling. That what you do and how you spend your life, I, I really believe God had destined in his heart when he made you. And you're walking into destiny. You're walking into a will that, that, that the king had established for you long before you were born. And when we ask God to show us his will, the problem comes how we view his will. So I wanna, I'm going to do a little experiment, and, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. I'm going to say a word or a phrase, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, there's no wrong answers, I promise. We're not giving out extra credit or nothing here. Just, 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 I'm gonna say, say the first thing that comes to your mind. Christmas. Presents. Presents. Trees. Jesus. All right, you win. <laughs> yeah, okay. Somebody give this man a, something here. What, what else? Yeah. What, Christmas. What, you know, trees, presents. What's that? Santa? Family. Food. Yeah, lots of food. Okay, all right. All right, let's try this. First thing that comes to your mind, family. Siblings, stress. Yes. Love, love you, mom. Yeah. Family, what else? Restraining orders. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody said that. It just came to my mind. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, let's try a different one. Work. Stress. Stress, again. Fun. Wow, you must love your job. That's awesome. Work. Money. Okay. It got really quiet. All right, how about this? God's will. Peace. Difficulty. Grace. Joy, hope, 
Freedom. These are all positive. Confusing. Yeah. Most of the time when I hear that word God's will, it's at a funeral. It must have been God's will. Or at the hospital. This must be this just must be God's will. Or when somebody loses a job or it must be God's will. Maybe that's not your experience, but for me, when I would think about God's will, it was it was typically something that I was gonna have to make myself do. And so why would we pray for something? Now, a lot of you are clearly well beyond where I was. And you look at God's will as something good. And, but I didn't. And usually when I heard that term or used that term, it wasn't good circumstances. But I want to read this verse to you, Romans 12, last verse, verse 2. Paul's encouraged He says, don't conform to the ways or the pattern of this world, the kingdom of darkness. Don't act like them. Don't act like the world. Don't lose your mind over little stuff. Don't fight over stupid, you know, it's like, don't conform to the pattern of this world. He says, but be transformed. That's like, met- go through a metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. That's a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Is basically, that word means metamorphosis. How do we do that? He says, if you change your thinking, it's a stinking thinking. I had some stinking thinking when it came to God's will. He says, when you do that, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, which is, he describes it with three terms. His good, somebody say good. Pleasing, somebody say pleasing. And perfect will. Why would I pray for God's will in my life if I thought it was going to take me somewhere I didn't want to go with people I don't want to be with doing something I don't want to do? I just think that's a lie of the enemy. I think when we come to God and we ask for his will, it's good. It's, it's better than anything you could imagine. I don't think as, as humans we know what's going to make us happy. I wish I knew. I just want to do what's going to make me happy. Well, I don't even know what that is. But your creator does. And he has this good, pleasing, and perfect will that when you walk in, is there going to be some bad days? Yeah, there's going to be some bad days. Is there going to be some times where it feels like there's nothing good, pleasing, and perfect about it? I'm sure there is. But it's the best way that you can, you can spend your life. Mark Twain said it this, this way. There's the two greatest days of your life is the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. And to the best of my knowledge, there's only one person that can tell you that. That's the king. That's the one that created you. I want you just to bow your head for a moment. and Lord, that's what we want today. We want to be a part of your kingdom. We want your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives. And maybe you're in here this morning and your life, there hasn't been much good. There hasn't been much pleasure. And it seems like it's a mistake. That perfect, perfect means lacking nothing. And that's okay. But I believe we have an invitation this morning to come to the king and ask, Lord, I want you to align my will with yours. I just want what you want me to have. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to I link up with the people that you want me to link up with. If it's not in your will, I don't want it. 
If it's not in your will, no matter how good it seems, no matter how great the opportunity could be, if it's not in your will, I don't want it in my life. And so this morning, Lord, we pray your will be done in our lives individually. Protect us from other wills. Protect us from from other kingdoms and other things that may try to distract us. Lord, we want one thing. We want to walk in your will for our lives. We want to see your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to see you do great and mighty things. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, and maybe your experience hasn't been good to this point. How do we become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus tells us to repent, to turn from whatever direction we were going, and to turn towards him and to trust him. Trust the king. It's that simple. How do I become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I turn from the direction I was going. I get out of the driver's seat of my life, and I say, Lord, wherever we're going, I'm here for the ride. I'm in the co-chair. I'm over here in the, in the passenger seat. Take me where you want to take me. Lead me where you want to lead me. I want your will. And so if you've never done that, you should do that right now. I, you know, it, maybe you've gone to church for a long time and you might have memorized some scripture. You may know the Lord's Prayer. But the way that we become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is we put our trust in the king. And we say, I want what you want for my life. I want your will and your will alone. I'm not gonna worry about another thing. I'm not gonna worry another moment. I just really wanna do what you've called me to do and I wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant one day. That's my heart's desire. And so Lord, we come before you today and ask that you would lead us and guide us. If we're confused this morning, give us clarity. If we're hurting this morning, bring healing. And Lord, help us to trust your will, not to fear it, but to trust it. And we just thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.